It's Memorial Day weekend. For what do these men and women die, and do we do our part defending the same? The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, and I am waking Atlanta up to the real threats to our liberty every Saturday from 3 to 6 right here on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. And I am, I am always focused on the real threats to our liberty, that uh, our protections from government. When you listen to that 24-7 cable news cycle and you hear the stories they are telling you, uh, it, it is my conclusion that they that it's it's no longer even a, a trade-off between ratings and truth. It's just propaganda at this point. It's not that it's not true. It's based on uh, – most of it's based on real things. But the stories are chosen and spun in a way that's designed to – guide your opinion on policy. So I take the stories of the week and I try to tell you why I think they're there and what I think they really mean. And uh, it is Memorial Day weekend, and I I especially uh, like to remember not only the Gold Star families who have lost their loved ones in wars in modern times who remember them, but also the many who the young people who died without issue over the years, that there's the sacrifices they made for us as a country isn't, people aren't even left descended from them to remember them. And those are the people who really, we are, they are our parents. They, we are their children. We are, we are what, what they, they made beyond the ultimate sacrifice. And I like to remember that. And I and and when I hear politicians using uh, the military honoring the men and women in uniform to justify policies that are militaristic but not justifiable, I do, I think that is a disservice to those in the service. That they are there, they join up. Not because they get paid lavishly. We're not talking about mercenaries. We're talking about people who want to fight against real threats to our rights and liberties as Americans, as the people who live in this country and depend on these freedoms and value them and have gratitude towards them for them. And I so I look at every war not only from a position of moral justification. Is it a just war? And that really means it must be in self-defense. And actually, if you look at the real like definitions of just war from a religious point of view, I believe it has to aggression or not aggression, but like military action has to be reasonable. Like it has to be winnable. You're not allowed to just throw bodies against a an enemy to, uh, you know, just expend your entire army in an unwinnable war, even if it would otherwise be justified. I think that's interesting. But but I think, like, a good way to look at it is just it's this non-aggression principle that is at the heart of libertarianism, which is you cannot use aggression if aggression is not imminently threatened or has been uh, used against you. So I look at what we're doing in Iran, and we— Trump has done a lot of things that are antagonistic towards Iran right now, 
and people consider Iran like a well-established enemy, the uh, the greatest state sponsor of terrorism, and that this that Iran needs to be kind of preemptively stopped. But but you have you must not you cannot look at these things from a geopolitical standpoint. You can't look at it from American interests abroad. That there's no such thing. Those are private interests who are operating in foreign countries, and they must respect the sovereignty of those countries, and they cannot depend on the United States military to go and defend them when they're in another country. That that's that's the nature of American exceptionalism, and it is in violation of the law of nations on which our constitution was largely based. So you can't look at it that way. You have to look at what what justifies our kind of endless wars over in the Middle East. And the only justification would be, as far as I can tell, the official narrative of 9-11. The official narrative of 9-11 is, is the ultimate touchstone, and a lot of people signed up because of that. So let's take the official narrative and say what exactly happened. Well, 15 out of 19 of the 9-11 hijackers were Saudi, Saudi Arabian, and the mastermind mind was a Saudi who we had trained and employed to overthrow the secular government of Afghanistan in the late 70s, Osama bin Laden. And the bin Laden family is still a prominent in Saudi Arabia and the UK and elsewhere, very rich and prominent family there. So, and there was a lot of, so we went into Afghanistan uh, Afghanistan had a part in 9-11, according to the official narrative, and Yemen did too, actually. And the government of Yemen, the government that had supported or covered up or what it harbored uh, 9-11 conspirators, that government we did not aggress towards. We did not do anything to take that government out. But now that that government is on the run and rebels, you can say they're Iranian-backed, whatever – have ousted them, we are on Saudi Arabia's side to put that down. So, and one of the things Trump did was uh, unconstitutionally overrode Congress's prerogative to decide who gets weapons, and he wants to send $8 billion worth of weapons to Saudi Arabia. He says it's an emergency, he wants to send troops over there. Uh, a lot of things that could be bluffing, could be just show strength, or could be what we talked about last week, an effort to start hostilities with Iran. And and if you're using 9-11 as a justification, you have to say Saudi Arabia, who would be on our side, is clearly linked to 9-11, whether as a state or just as citizens who are out of control, which is, is a lot of the justification we use is that these people are out of control, their states can't control them, and we need to intervene. So I think what we're actually doing is aiding Saudi Arabia – which also has a worse civil rights record, human rights record, domestic record than Iran. Hard to believe, but it's true if you look in Saudi Arabia. We are establishing them as a regional hegemon over there. Like until Binkley, my producer here, gave us that lowdown on 5G, that's a way that there's going to be able to be world control, world government, a world hegemon, a world person in control. But until that change takes place, the old paradigm up until now is that you – that regions have their own hegemons, their own little leaders. So, like, we have the Americas and Germany has Europe. Uh, maybe England kind of had a claim to being a world empire. But even Rome did not. And, and the Middle East had the Turkish Empire. So these regions do have 
dominant powers. And I think what's happening there is this struggle between Saudi Arabia and Iran to be that dominant power. But we have no right to take Saudi Arabia's side in this based on the concept of a just war. But you know what? You just don't. That's it. That's as far as it goes, is that if if we are in danger, then we can defend ourselves. And that's it. And but the upshot is not only would we engage in this unjust war, but those things that we do over there spread terrorism and refugees like wildfire around the world and drive that element into our country. And then we use that element to justify reducing our rights. Michael Chertoff, the Department of Homeland Security, the second head of the Department of Homeland Security, called upon Congress to establish a new legal architecture for this country, for the United States, in light of the terrorist threat from abroad. Now, before we go making that threat worse and then destroying the American way, destroying the Constitution, destroying our liberties, we could just take a step back. So you have to ask yourself, why are they doing this? They're, they're doing it for other interests, not our own. It's above the parties. It's that international power elite or it's the military industrial complex or whoever it is. It doesn't matter. You can go down any conspiracy road you want. It doesn't matter. You can just assess it by the criteria for just war. But what I really want to focus on, uh, I want to continue to focus on, you can even you can even peel it back a step further and say, I don't even need to understand that. I just need to defend at home the rights and privileges and protections, not privileges. They're, it's a trade-off. It's not a privilege. We have traded our power to the government, and we have instilled certain protections in the Bill of Rights. And I want to talk about every day especially recently, these protections are being infringed upon. And I want to get into that. But I did, Binkley, I did want to see if you um, see that tweet. I got a really good tweet this morning in honor of Memorial Day. I hope you'll read it. I see it. It's from Griseco. He says, this weekend is the one weekend we put aside our biases and bow our heads to the soldiers who lost their lives in battle serving our country. RIP, Chris and Jay. Miss you guys. I think there are a lot of people listening who could put other names in that sentence. So uh, uh, a moment to think about that and um, not be sad, be grateful, <laughs> really grateful, and try to live up to it. Because you, I think, I, I think a lot of people, millions and millions of people think that in the Revolutionary War or whatever just war, they would be fight the good fight. And I would say we have we are, are lucky enough not to have to most of us not to have to take up arms to fight that fight, but just stand firm with eyes open, not fall for any parties or personalities, and just look at the just uh, uh, educate yourself as to what are the important foundations of this country and what are the true threats to those, and just even it just even if you don't let your mind deviate from that, you don't even have to take action just at a party defend it. No compromise. So let's talk about what what you will have the opportunity to defend. And I'm happy to take some calls. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Maybe it's something really cool that 
I don't even know about, you know. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice waking Atlanta up to the true threats to your liberty in um, Saturdays from 3 to 6. I, I just lost a call of someone who was offended by my comments about vets, and I, I don't know what he was talking about. Feel free to call back. I'll absolutely put you on. Um, I am the daughter and the sister of U.S. military veterans. I don't mean any offense, and I'm absolutely happy to have the discussion. If you want to educate me or the audience, I am always, always open to that. Uh, with gratitude, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I'm going to Paul and DeCobb. Hi, Paul. You're on with Monica. Yeah. Uh, Paul, you're cutting out. Are you in a bad cell? I can move around a little bit. Can you hear me better now? Yeah, this is your last chance. Go. Okay. Um, Yemen is a very poor country. It's like a Guatemala I lost you. I lost you, Paul. But uh, but I will tell you, I think you're completely gone. Um, I People don't know a lot about Yemen, and I did a lot of research on Yemen, actually, and I found a, I found a document from 1996 by Stephen Pelletier. Uh, it, it, what, it, it, explained that Yemen, because it wasn't that important. Now, it is important for a few reasons. It is important. It, it, um, it controls, it, it, it controls or stands in the way of, um, Saudi Arabia's access to the Indian Ocean. It's a, it's an excellent Red Sea port. It, uh, has access to Suez Canal traffic and it has a modest amount of oil. But all that weighed, they thought, uh, they were, this guy was suggesting a shift in paradigm. Paradigm is like the structure where you think how you think about things or how things work. You sh- that there would be a paradigm shift from having to control states to simply allowing them to fail. That you could allow them to fail, just take out their leadership without replacing it, and that would be fine because then they would have no power. You could push them around. This and Yemen was the state they suggested be the first on this paradigm shift to where you don't actually have to control. That was 1996. They said actual sovereignty is no longer important. Uh, They, they said since there was no USSR for them to turn to, it no longer mattered. And there were a lot of things that happened in that decade. I have a Wesley Clark clip I might play later talking about how, uh, the generals were saying, now that the USSR isn't there, we probably have about a 10-year window to go in and and change the power dynamics in that region. And we could basically do whatever we wanted because there would be no safety net. Now, when you do stuff like that, you drive people to look for that safety net. It actually empowers other big players. It creates a need for Russia or China. It's almost like they wanted to have a multipolar world um, or they thought they could just dominate completely and that would be the end of that. But it doesn't sound like it. If you hear it, Wesley Clark's clip, which I, hopefully I'll get to. But it's complicated. And, you know, Paul didn't know that. He thinks he knows, but he didn't really know. So uh, we should stay out of it. Anyway, this is Monica Perez. 
You can call 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show, and you can also reach me at our website that we are relaunching, coming soon, but it is up and running now, uh, thepropreport.com. I just wanted to ask everybody to please remember two of my brothers who were killed in Iraq. One is Sergeant Jayton D. Patterson, killed by a roadside bomb. And my other friend, Corporal Chris Belichick, was also killed by an IED. One year apart. I ask you to please remember them on Memorial Day. WSB listeners have been leaving personal memorials for family members lost in battle this Memorial Day weekend. You can do the same using the open mic feature on the WSB radio app, and we'll continue to honor Memorial Day with you all weekend on WSB. This is Monica Perez. I intend to do that also. So if my, uh, so I'm going to open up the calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, I am going to take Bob Hello. in Arnoldsville. Hey, Bob, you're on with Monica. Thank you, Monica. I am uh, calling because I'm incensed by the way you used Veterans Day and veterans as a segue into your anti-military diatribe. I'm not anti-military. Monica, you started off by saying that, oh, we got to honor the veterans and everybody lost somebody and all of that. And then you said, but I'm not focused on the people that we're in, and they, they really didn't know what they were doing. They just got – they what? served their country, and they were they were victims or pawns of the great military-industrial problem. Uh, uh, All I'm saying whatever. is I would not squander their lives on a war with Iran. Would you? Let, let, me, let me tell you, I, I served – on active duty during Vietnam, I served on active duty during Desert Storm, and I served in combat in Iraq and in Afghanistan in the infantry. And I, I'm not going to change your mind, but I'll just tell you one incident that happened to me while I was in Iraq. But was it one day, an Iranian? We, hold on, take, hold on. I just want to make sure that we're talking about Iran. And now you can go ahead. If you're not talking about Iran, then that's not addressing what I was talking about. I'm saying proceed with caution with uh, military action against a state that is not implicated in what we were uh, why in what we were mandated to fight over there. I'm going to give you an experience that I had, a true experience that I had in Iraq that explains why we go places and do things. And, it, and we don't wait cowering in, in behind our, our borders waiting for somebody to 9-11 us. But who 9-11 us? The, uh, well, you don't want me to answer what I think about that because then that would make a much wider discussion. But I, don't, I don't have to have a wider discussion. Do you think Iran did it? I think Islam did it. But the Islamists who are accused of doing it are not the same Islamists that are Iranian. They're the ones that are Saudi Arabian. It's the Sunni right. versus the Shia we, thing. And, and while we were in Iraq, we killed thousands and captured thousands of non-Iraqi Islamic terrorists who came into Iraq only because we were there to fight. 
But the Islamic people who would have traveled, about, people who would have traveled from that. I, it just doesn't make sense. This is the problem. We invaded invaded Iraq because of 9/11, but Iraq was not even implicated in 9/11. Neither was Iran. Saudi Arabia was, and so was Yemen. The Yemen government that we did not attack, the Yemen that we are attacking, ousted that government. I'm just saying you cannot when you're when you're when you are talking about lives and treasure, it has to you cannot take lives without it them the actual guilty party being at the receiving end of that. You can't take uh, in the name of an injustice, you cannot uh, attack a broader group than you need to. And if you look into it, the Shia Sunni thing, it's the Sunnis who are in ISIS and Al-Qaeda and all of that. And those are the ones who for somehow we got <laughs> on the side of. So just let's stay out of it because we're just making it worse. I'll keep, I'll keep going. All right, let's go to Paul. Paul, you're back. I'll give you another chance. I hope you have a better connection. Uh, yeah, Yemen is the size of California. They only have a few thousand tribal police and a few helicopters. But the United States has sold over $100 billion of tanks. They've sold 400 tanks and 100 helicopters and 60 fighter, um, fighter jet uh, engines with trainers to Saudi Arabia. It's it's a Yemen has had its ports blocked. They've got three major ports on the ocean. They can't get ships in to deliver food or medical equipment. And this is because of Saudi Arabia. I know Iran is bad. I'm against Iran, but we're 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 uh, stirring up a bloodbath among Arab people, and it's very difficult to stop what's going on over there. We need to. We need to listen to Amnesty International. <laughs> Paul, for the first time ever, I was agreeing with you. And then you throw Amnesty International. I don't trust them. But I do appreciate what you're saying. And I think that we need to just just look at your own sense, your own morality. If you are the one who is authorizing this action, you need to understand it beyond a reasonable doubt. Before you let somebody use your money and your name to kill, you must, you must understand that this government is our agent. And it's not a monarchy and it's not a dictatorship. It's not supposed to be. You aren't allowed to say, well, I have no control over this government. This is why our government, our specific government, is not supposed to do this stuff. Because the form of government does not allow for the amorality and complications of empire building. We're, it does not allow for that. You can't have representative government. In the Constitution, if you look back, it says one representative for every 30,000, not to exceed one representative for every 30,000. But if you actually looked at what one representative for every 30,000 would be, it, it's like 11,000 congressmen would be the representative government that our found, founders envisioned. We, don't, we, we have a less than a tiny fraction of that. And we are not able to make these decisions, make these judgment calls in a moral way or in a legal way. We, our Congress isn't even the ones who are making these decisions now. It's a crisis. It's a cri This is the constitutional crisis. I'll keep going. I might, I might get tired of it. I want to talk about the um, privileges uh, 
the protections, I should say, that are being withdrawn from us uh, in the name of these threats that are being fomented from the top. But I'm going to keep going. Uh, I'll go to Doug. Hi, Doug. You're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. How are you? Okay. How are uh, you? Good. Thank you very much. Um, and what I got to say, it won't be long, but let me just open up with, you know, there's, there's, there's no more. There's no way we can honor anyone anymore than our military or someone, a police officer or whatever, that would lay down their lives for yours or mine. Is it for yours or mine? I do. I do. I honor them. And I think they get betrayed oh, you, when they're deceived. I know, I know you do very much. And uh, and I do, too. But, you know, that that's the good part of it because you have to give honor to anyone that is so kind to do that. And the second thing is it's sad that they have to die because they go in other parts of the world where it's just rampant with evil. And uh, and every day, our people die. Uh, I agree. I agree. I I um I believe that. It, actually, if you read that report from Iron Mountain from the sixties, it talks about ta- it, it, that war, like ground war, takes the best people, the healthiest, the purest of spirit, the people who sign up. I mean, short of a draft, like the people who go on purpose, and it not only uh way increases their chance of dying it increases their chance of dying without issue without having children and families that they can raise up in the same strong and brave way and i uh, i i think it's very important to take that sacrifice that commitment as seriously as you as any it's the great, most serious responsibility we have and i just uh, I feel it's my obligation as somebody who uh, isn't going that far to at least go as far as I can and and ask people to be uh, uh, very sober, responsible, and moral in in how they use their power uh, uh, and influence over a government that uh, sometimes does not act in good faith but has the control over these people. I'm going to keep going, Maurice. Maurice, watch your mouth. <laughs> I don't know why he's brought that up. I I told him I was a good guy. I, oh, you're I a never different said Maurice. anything bad. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, you know why? Because more another Maurice who calls regularly last week used vulgarity. They had to drop him. You're ne- never supposed to use vulgarity on the air, Maurice. But oh, you're a different you're Maurice. Well. You're my, innocent. My mom and dad did a good job on me, and. Uh, so uh, um, try to be honorable and respectful. Thank Keep you. Thanks for what you're doing. Thank My you. comment was uh, I hear often about the soldiers losing their life, ah. but actually, more correctly, it should be they gave. Yeah, I can't and they tell you. In, yeah. Invested I... their life. Like when you put your money in the bank, you don't lose it. Yeah. The there's a story that I I really can't think of. I can't believe I I used to know the guy's name off the top of my head. A young guy uh, got the the Medal of Honor, I believe, in I guess it was Iraq. Uh, There was a tank. He and his um, fellows were in a tank and a and a like a grenade or something came in and he saw it and he was getting out. He was like, let's get out of here. And he looked back and he realized those guys were not going to make it. And he threw himself on that grenade 
and he died and they lived. And I, I think of that all the time. And the father said, you know, there's no consolation at all for that. But I, he gave it willingly. And the father had well, to admit. Yes. Well, the father realizes, um, and if we think about it, we realize it. That person gave their lives so that I could be at home and have a family. And that is the gravity of the revelation of understanding what the value is of, of, of these men's lives. Do you think that that's what, what like, say we're going to war with Iran, do you really think that's what um, is at stake? Um. Well, do you, what's at stake do you think is that the, we is, that our liberty will be enhanced or diminished by a war with Iran? Well, that depends if those Iranians are so nice as to not come into this country. But, but the I don't Saudis think did, that, and and I mean, I just I question the I question the reasoning because well, we're I on think the side um, of uh, that that you have to show the a show of force which is much better than having to go into combat. But the mindset of these individuals is not functioning on the understanding of liberty, freedom that, that we have. And I believe there's good minds. If they would let the military men who are leaders lead and not throw in a bunch of uh, political roadblocks, those men know that the lives of their men are in their hands. Actually, I'll take that. I have to take a break. But I will say that I do believe that we could uh, solve these problems without firing a shot. If there was good faith uh, effort, I think that's what would happen. So uh, I will say a prayer for that. And in the meanwhile, um, I will find the name of that brave soldier at and be right back. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. This will not stand, you know. This aggression will not stand, man. On News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. We uh, are in a very serious discussion right now about war and soldiers and the difference between uh, justified war and unjustified war. I've got a lot of great calls teed up. 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. I'm going to take them in order. Uh, I'm going to Phil in Buford. Phil, you are on with Monica. Hey, Phil, you're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. How are you doing? Good. Uh, just want to say I respect the soldiers. Um. The Vietnam War, not so much. Uh, uh, that was uh, a bad war. This war, we have to fight it there so we don't fight it here. What war? Are you the war against the, the jihadists. I'm not going to classify it because I don't believe it's all. But one which one? Is, but but it's is it which one is the threat to us? Saudi Arabia or Iran? Um, all of them. But but we're favoring one over the other. We're establishing a regional hegemon over there. We're establishing well, we were, a power. Uh, Iran took Americans hostage. I know, but Saudi, the fifty the the Bin Ladens are still prominent in Saudi Arabia. Like you got to connect. Oh, I know. We dogs. trained them all. That's 
what's worse. But they're still <laughs> there. They're still powerful. I realize that. <laughs> I mean, and we have to fight them there or we'll fight them here. Okay, but we're not fighting them. We're allying with them. That's what's crazy about it. 404-872-0750, wsb Talk coming up. Our calls from Brett. I've missed you, Brett. And Tariq, this will be good. You can tweet at me at Monica Parencia. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. I think I'll see Wolfowitz. So I called him up there. He was available. Scooter Libby came to the door. I met Scooter for the first time, and he brought me in. And uh, I said to Paul, I said, and this is 1991, I said, Mr. Secretary, you must be pretty happy with the performance of the troops in, in Desert Storm. And he said, uh, well, yeah, he said, but, but not really. He said, because... The truth is we should have gotten rid of Saddam Hussein, and we didn't. And this was just after the Shia uprising in, the, in March of 91, which we had provoked, and then we kept our troops on the sidelines and didn't intervene. And he said, but one thing we did learn, he said, we learned that we can use our military in the region, in the Middle East, and the Soviets won't stop us. He said, and we've got about five or ten years to clean up those old Soviet client regimes Syria, Iran, Iraq, before the next great superpower comes on to challenge us. That's Wesley Clark talking about stuff that happened before 9-11. I mean, these are this is about power, and you can agree with it. You can think they're right because you think of uh, our country in in those terms. But then let's talk about it in those terms and not – this is the defense of the American people. This is Monica Perez. Uh, that was Wesley Clark, who is a general, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, which is a, a, a think tank like the Brookings Institute, Institute, Institution, Brookings Institution, um, Brookings Institute. We're going to talk about that. Who, who is, who is really? being served by this stuff. We are going to talk about that, but first I want to get to these great calls. Uh, I'm going to, is it, is this Brett or is, is it Brent? Brent. Oh, sorry, Brent. I thought it was a, a someone who has a similar view from, uh, as you, I think, whose name is oh. Brett, but go ahead, Brent. I'm happy to hear from you. You're on the air with Monica. Well, thanks for taking my call, Monica. I uh, I work in real estate, so I drive around a lot on Saturdays and, and listen to you a lot. So I appreciate the uh, same viewpoint. But I um, I guess I wanted to touch more on a macro view of this whole situation and how the United States power has played out since the Second War. And, you know, what I was saying uh, to your screener was that Basically, I don't really think the United States has been involved in a justifiable conflict, uh, arguably since World War II. And, you know, the way that that's played out over the past 60 years or so has pretty much led us up to this situation that we're in now. And, you know, we've had multiple opportunities to snuff out this Middle East problem before it became a real problem. Uh, 
including the fact that Clinton had an opportunity to get bin Laden uh, during his administration. And as far as my research can tell, he, he pretty much just took a hard pass on that. So um, if you want to point fingers at uh, somebody, I guess you could start there. I think that's a little bit of um, straw man or red herring. People would say that Obama did not – it was his pulling back, the withdrawal – that created this problem. Obama was dropping 20,000 bombs a year on Syria. He was not a dove. He wasn't withdrawing. I'll tell you where it started. I had a caller once, really stimulated thought and research and other things, but the way he said it was best. He said back in like the 60s, I think it was, people don't realize that the countries in the Middle East were going secular. After the, what, what was the red line document? It wasn't the Balfour Declaration. Sykes-Picot. When they went through and and kind of after World War One, I, I guess it was, and broke up the Ottoman Empire and created these these countries as patchworks, they were doing it to keep them weak, keep them on their heels. But over time, what happened was there started to develop these secular nations and even a pan-Arabism so that a lot of these nations were secular. Afghanistan was secular till Osama bin Laden, on our behalf, uh, undermine that country. Mossadegh in Iran, that was secular until a U.S.-led coup took him out and installed the bloody Shah. And then the Ayatollah was, that first one who took the Shah out, was Western trained. So I don't even know what the heck goes on in Iran. But Gaddafi was secular. Nasser in Egypt was secular. Um, Assad is secular. These, these are secular leaders, and we have undermined that and if you go back, what the caller had said was, I think it was maybe North African, I don't know, but uh, he sounded it. And he said, you go back and the people in those regions, uh, in that region, were so excited to see like JFK and this coming of America as a dawning for them. And it was in the backdrop of colonialism, French and English colonialism, that they looked to us for an example. and And we did not follow through on that. And we set this stuff up where uh, now it seems that we take out those secular leaders and we're kind of trying to rearrange things back along tribal lines. If you look at Condoleezza Rice's New Middle East map, it shows that that's what they're trying to do. And by making it religious, they make it uh, maybe more violent. I don't know. I don't know what their rationale is, but we're not taking the high road. And Obama wasn't taking the weak road. I think these people are serving a higher uh, authority, and they're serving interests, not ours, but in our name and with our money. And Binkley, my producer here, has come up with some some clips that are undeniable, that there is a they and – and they're active and intentional. And um, I, we played it some on, our, on the propreport.com, and we're going to play some now. I want to get to Tariq before my segment closes. <coughs> hey, Tariq, you, sorry to catch you by surprise. You've been on hold for a while. Tariq, you are on with America. <laughs> How you doing? Thank, thank, I'm doing great. Hope you're doing well. And thank you again and your staff for all that you do for us. I believe uh, there are two things going on. First of all, uh, some of the callers, they're really comparing apples and oranges. Uh, some of them have uh, served, which I did. I, I served also during the Vietnam era, even though I did not go to Nam. 
But I my brother says the same thing. He's a Vietnam era vet. Yeah. He was in Southeast Asia, but he was not in Vietnam. But I, but but the bottom line is, I, I through marriage, I am related. I know uh, a retired general, for instance, who was over the defense of Washington D.C. during Clinton's administration. But but the bottom line is this: there are two levels. Originally, when our country was formed. And in that first century, over century, we were more concentrated and focused on ourselves, okay? From what I have learned in my readings, what I believe is the founding fathers never intended on us to uh, do a lot of the things that we're doing now, okay? I um, Read really Washington's think, farewell speech, his farewell address. Yeah, it's a crystal you know, clear. Even, Don't have friends even, either, not enemies nor friends. Yeah, even right after the Revolutionary War, Washington was under pressure by Jefferson to uh, support the French against the uh, English, but Washington uh, decided not to do that. Why, Jefferson, not Adams? Tariq, sorry. It was Jefferson? Jefferson, sometimes he comes up. Well, he wasn't the only one, but I know Jefferson was more supportive of Uh supporting the French, okay? Okay, But, but the bottom line is this. Even if you even if you fast forward to more recently, you really have to start, like you said, around World War One. That's when things shifted a lot, yep. and America became more aggressive and involved and connected with imperialism and different things that we do around. And the that's country. that's when we got the Fed and the IRS and uh, yeah, yeah. The, the central bank. It's all kind of stuff going on. Yeah. But, but what some veterans that that are listening, I think. You know, because it's, if you've ever been to war, been in there, you know, there's a there's a rhyme and a reason. There's a process that they make you a warrior. And if you've lost, I lost a cousin in Nam. But I didn't for one second hear you saying anything negative about the soldiers. There's a difference from the soldiers than what the soldiers are asked to do. To me, one of the reasons why a lot of us really didn't, I, I know for a fact how a lot of the leaders through felt about no military leaders they want to be able to win if they are asked to win you don't want to be in a position i believe where you ask an american to put his life at risk right unless number one there's a good reason okay and some some believe in the in the 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 economy that we're going through now for the last century or so there are a lot that don't. A lot of us just rather not do it, even if we serve, unless we have a good reason. That's the bottom line. And I know this is a radio program. <laughs> we don't have time to get into a lot of the different nuances and, and micro elements of the of the various challenges. But that's really what you were talking about. Yeah, I would like about. I appreciate that. I would like to emphasize. I mean, my father fought in World War II. I hate to say that because it makes me sound old. I guess I'm old. But he he fought in World War II, and he I found a copy of a book called Backdoor to War from the 50s with his, like, margin notes all over it. And after that, he said, FDR tricked us into that war. When uh, we invaded Iraq, he he was 100% against it, and I wasn't. I was like, but if Hussein is Hitler, don't you want to get ahead of that? And he was just like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, like, he just is like, they, I how do I know that? Like, how can I justify it? So he, uh, uh, I mean, he was at sea for like 11 months straight in the South Pacific. He was 
traumatized or they dodged torpedoes and whatnot. He, but, and I loved him and respected him. And I was like a mess at his funeral when they came and folded up the flag and laid it at, like, gave it to my mother and like knelt before it was, I, I moved to tears by that stuff and I am so grateful for it, but you have to make sure that these people are dying uh, for what they signed up for. Right. And that is to help, is to protect us and right. our liberty. And, and, but just remember this: like I said, some of them, real, I believe, they really on, they really don't understand your major points. But but neither, I won't go there because they'd be calling up, raising hell about that. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't but, know. But I but the bottom line is, it still goes back to knowledge. I get on this just about every week. If if. The biggest problem that the United States has now, the biggest threat is not China, in my opinion. It's not Russia, even these globalists. It, well, I, I take that back. The biggest problem is what this, what I call the collective movement has, that's been going on really for several hundred years. And now a lot of us don't know our history. We don't know I got our it. I absolutely have to take a, a break, Tariq, okay. but I'm going to sum that up for you. It's it's what it is. Uh, I think ignorance is the enemy and we have the capacity to educate ourselves and make just like you would educate your own conscience, educate yourself and prepare for uh, answering. Maybe I call it the St. Peter test on your judgment day. Thank you so much for the call. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. You maniac! You blew it up! On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Uh, I just played earlier in this half hour a clip by Wesley Clark laying it all out from uh, many years ago. And I'm going to bring it home after this break. But let's hear that Wesley Clark clip again. I think I'll see Wolfowitz. So I called and up there. He was available. Scooter Libby came to the door. I met Scooter for the first time, and he brought me in. And uh, I said to Paul, I said, and this is 1991, I said, Mr. Secretary, you must be pretty happy with the performance of the troops in, in Desert Storm. And he said, uh, well, yeah, he said, but, but not really. He said, because the truth is we should have gotten rid of Saddam Hussein, and we didn't. And this was just after the Shia uprising in, in March of 91, which we had provoked, and then we kept our troops on the sidelines and didn't intervene. And he said, but one thing we did learn, he said, we learned that we can use our military in the region, in the Middle East, and the Soviets won't stop us. He said, and we've got about five or ten years to clean up those old Soviet client regimes, Syria, Iran, Iraq, before the next great superpower comes on to challenge us. Straight power concepts. That's what this is about. It's it's not about anything else. And uh, I'm going to explain to you where he, where Wesley, Wesley Clark, I think, is controlled opposition there, or a limited hangout, because he is a member of the CFR. And that goes hand in hand with who's calling these shots and uh, what they're calling them for. So let's uh, dig deeper into that after the break. 800 WSB Talk, or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. I'd just like to uh, remember two uh, fellow airmen I was stationed with at, at Patrick Air Force Base that were killed in the Cobar Towers bombing. Captain Hahn and, and Airman Wood were both uh, in my unit. And they lost their lives during the bombing. And just want to remember them and the others who died 
on that day back in 1996. WSB listeners have been leaving personal memorials for family members lost in battle this Memorial Day weekend. You could do the same using the open mic feature on the WSB radio app. We will continue to honor Memorial Day with you all weekend on WSB. And in that spirit, I want to read uh, about a Congressional Medal of Honor winner I talked about earlier, Ross McGinnis. He, uh, he received the medal uh, in 2008. He entered service in 2004. It says, while Private McGinnis was manning the M2 50 caliber machine gun, a fragmentation grenade thrown by an insurgent fell through the gunner's hatch into the vehicle. Reacting quickly, he yelled, grenade, allowing all four members of his crew to prepare for the grenade's blast. Then, rather than leaping from the gunner's hatch to safety, Private McGinnis made the courageous decision to protect his crew. In a selfless act of bravery in which he was mortally wounded, Private McGinnis covered the live grenade, pinning it between his body and the vehicle and absorbing most of the explosion. Private McGinnis' gallant action directly saved four men from certain serious injury or death. Private First Class McGinnis' extraordinary heroism and selflessness at the cost of his own life, above and beyond the call of duty, are in keeping with the highest traditions of the military service and reflect great credit upon himself his unit, and the United States Army. So I have a couple of actual, uh, actually uh, books on Congressional Medal of Honor winners. And if you want to really understand courage and magnanimity and selflessness uh, in the service of this country, I suggest you just read about those who have won the Congressional Medal of Honor. And I was raised by World War II vet who lived in absolute and, and taught me to live in complete gratitude for this country, for the, the, the liberty and the, the prosperity and the virtue, I believe, in which it was founded, and always with a sense of gratitude towards the people who have sacrificed for that, uh, starting with the founders right up until uh, Ross McGinnis and all the people from this era. And I, uh, I think it's important to respect them. I, uh, there's a great book. I, I guess if you want to separate the idea of uh, the military from the politicians, you might want to read uh, Smedley Butler. He got two Congressional Medals of Honor and uh, turned down a third. It was one of the most decorated Marines. I think it was the most decorated Marine at the time. His story is very, very interesting. But I recommend that uh, I give it to uh, my young son to read these Congressional Medal of Honor winner stories. They're very inspiring. They're very suitable for Memorial Day. Uh, I want to in – let me take a call, and then I want to get to some – some of the stuff that I was talking about before. Let's see. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to give Maurice a chance to redeem himself. Maurice, Hell, wait, I, I let I you apologize. say stuff. I really let you say, but you can't not allowed to use vulgarity on my show. Get me in trouble. Uh, 
I apologize. Uh, you know, uh, I could give you excuses, but there are none. <laughs> you got carried that's, away. I get it. I get it. Man of passion. Exactly Don't do it, it again, or I can't take your calls. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I don't know if you read the screener's notes, but I mean, I, I could flesh out last week's comment, which were, warrants a whole show, by the way. But the thing that I said was that H.G. Wells wrote a treatise back in his heyday uh, for the globalist elite. And in it, basically, he said, we got to get it together. The middle class is going to expand and get really big and they will win and we have to crush them financially kill them do anything we have to do hence we have wars and, and progressive uh, taxes exactly all yeah. of that seriously and i think that's like in the in the uh Protocol is progressive taxation. People think it's about yeah. taxing the wealthy. It's absolutely not. It's it's taxing the most industrious working class. Right. It's the work, even if you want to call it the working rich. Those are the ones right. who can pull a Ron Paul on you and head down to the up to the Capitol. Right. You know, uh, Wayne Jett is the author of Fruits of Graphs, which is where a lot of this information is from. But it's basically about how the the uh, Great Depression was designed specifically to destroy the middle class and the underlings. And, you know, it goes into things, connections to like the the Red Symphony, which you may have heard of. Which no, but is I do have the, a book called The Greatest Story Never Told about yeah, Winston well, Churchill right. watching – being called right. to the stock market for right. to watch, right, right, in advance, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? But uh, at any rate, so there's that. But let me uh, say a little bit more about the Pope because no, 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 it, not look, Maurice, not because I want to silence you. I did not do my homework on that, and that is going to derail me. I want to. We're talking about the Brookings Institution, and it's worth yeah. it. I'm sorry, Maurice, and you should feel free. To communicate with me, email me or whatever, go to thepropreport.com. Give me. Is it actually prop report or is it propaganda report? It, we, well, when WordPress took us down, we had to change the URL because it got it. WordPress now, if you go to the old URL, which I own, but it will yeah. redirect because of cookies right. or whatever to the old one. And now it says this person is trying to steal your money. Yeah. run away you know like yeah. i can't so it's now the prop report.com go to there i have this um we're rebuilding we have this great forum it's uh and and i'll communicate immediately as soon as i get like a notification we can really and if you give me the link so let me figure let yeah. me okay. assess and, i'm and, all about that and i want to tell you you are the most important thing on the atlanta airwaves oh I thanks mean, Morris. Yeah. you're mean, just not, saying that because you're, saying, <laughs> you have I'm some making up to do. Because I don't, you know, <laughs> more important than Rush even. Uh, and that's uh, kind. But, now that is kind of like a sacrilege. I don't think you. I I'll never get kicked off the air for anything. But maybe that. Like I don't know. I listen to Rush. Right. Well, me too. Yeah. But I'm just saying you're actually getting at all the points that really have to be exposed. Rush buffers it because of 
whatever reason. Yeah, but he definitely like gets your little conspiracy thing working. I'm I was surprised by like how deep he goes, which is why I'm surprised people like push back on me. But um, maybe he's just opening the door. Well, I'm going to get to it though. I think it's new though on his part. Oh, all right. Well, I I do enjoy him, and I'm going to look forward to hearing from you, Maurice. And I and I will. I always dig into this stuff. Um, it takes me some time because there's so much to do and read and all that, but I do try to get to the bottom of it. And then we don't always agree, of course, but it, I, uh, I always welcome honest debate and inquiry. Always, always, always. And, uh, and I really welcome being corrected because my worldview is so like, abysmal that if I'm wrong, it makes me happy. So if you ever hear me say something you don't like, feel free to call 800 WSB talk. But I want to – so this Brookings thing, oh, this is what I wanted to do. There is a uh, – there's this quote I read because we were talking about Iran. So that was a Wesley Clark clip that we heard twice already. I'm not going to play it again. But it was from 1991 where he said we're going to take out Iran, Iraq, and Syria. That's what's cooking in the Pentagon. And that's what we're doing, right? That's what we're working on as a country. And – uh Last week, if you want to go to thepropreport.com, you can find uh, last week's show where I played the Washington Institute for Near East Affairs, uh, who's like the people on that board, Kiss, from Kissinger to Kirkpatrick, I think, uh, that Washington Institute is the, is the top. And they were talking about we're in the business of provoking war with Iran. You know, that's what they're saying, and that's what they're doing. And here's um, from 2009 from the Brookings Institute uh, that says, it's a quote, it says, any military operation, this is from a book called Which Path to Persia. It's on page 54, Which Path to Persia, put out by the Brookings Institution in 2009. Any military operation against Iran will likely be very unpopular around the world and require the proper international context, both to ensure the logistical support the operation would require and to minimize the blowback from it. The best way to minimize international opprobrium and maximize support, however grudging or covert, is to strike only when there is a widespread conviction that the Iranians were given but then rejected a superb offer. Now, that would explain why the Iran deal is like, that's the best deal anyone ever got. We really got bamboozled. We got snuckered as all get out with that, you know, whatever deal. So the idea is to... Spread the conviction the Iranians were given, but then rejected a superb offer, one so good that only a regime determined to acquire nuclear weapons and acquire them for the wrong reasons would turn it down. Under those circumstances, the United States or Israel could portray its operations as taken in sorrow, not anger, and at least some in the international community would conclude that the Iranians brought it on themselves by refusing a very good deal. Brookings Institutions, 2009, Which Path to Persia Report, page 54. So what he's saying is give them a deal that only a fool could refuse or a bad actor would refuse and have them refuse it, which is what what the impression is, that this was this great deal and President Trump declined to recertify that they were in compliance. But... That didn't come out of the IAEA or the people who were actually inspecting for the deal. And I did a whole show, I think it was in 2015, about the Iran deal. I did not want to defend it because I never believe that there's a good faith 
effort to solve these problems in a in a non-violent or compromising way. So when Obama came up with this deal, it's like I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, but it's what you see is what you get and you know, within the confines of this deal, it does not appear that we that they would just pop up with nuclear weapons 10 years from now. And I remember when Michelle Bachman was saying when she was running for president years back, Iran is within 12 months. If Obama gets reelected, Iran's going to have nuclear weapons within 12 months. I mean, this is the kind of imminent threat that we were told. And and this deal looked like it would deal with that. So I had to be cautiously optimistic that only after that, only recently from a truth stream media video, did I find this quote and I bought the book to verify it. It took me a while because the citation was misleading, but um, it was a different edition. Uh, but I found it, verified it. They, you know, this is the kind of plotting they're engaged in. Now, how does the Brookings Institution get this stuff, get the rubber to hit the road on this? That's where Binkley comes in with his smoking gun. We're going to get to that, if not right after the break, because we have a smaller segment than at the top of the hour. Uh, stay tuned. 800 WSB Talk. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Well, no one's going to top that. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It is Memorial Day weekend, and we do honor the fallen soldiers, and it isn't uh, I'm a hardcore libertarian. I have, I do uh, subscribe to the non-aggression principle. So I have to view these things, um, wars, as separate from the honor and respect that we show those of us who are brave and selfless enough to sign up. And I would say to a man and to a woman, uh, they do it for the right reasons. And you got to respect that. That's all you can do. That's all you can expect in law, in morality. You, If you're doing it for the right reason, it's honorable. So uh, so I think this is suitable for us to reread that first tweet that we opened the show with, Binkley. Do you have that handy? I do. It's from Griseko, and he tweeted, This weekend is one weekend where we put aside our biases and bow our heads to the soldiers who lost their lives in battle serving our country. And then he says, Rest in peace, Chris and Jay. Chris and Jay, I miss you guys. Yeah, you can't put it better than that. I appreciate that. And then uh, uh, there's a. Uh, how about another? Uh, do you have another? Got one from Clayton that says, "Thank you for the show today, Monica. I'm Gen X and know many folks whose dads didn't make it home from Nam. I lost friends in Iraq and I lost law enforcement officer friends in 9/11. I know several guys that didn't come home the same." Thank you again for the show today. Yeah, you got to – the thing is it's very easy to um, think about parties and personalities when you're assessing important matters. But this country was not founded by the – you know, the if you ever read about the sacrifices that the founders of this country made personally, um, financially, family-wise, loyalty – you you have to respect that that this that the politics we look at politics and personality and propaganda all that stuff and it seems like a game but it's absolutely not a game and i feel like it may just be that this fight the real fight is to just kick the can of tyranny no matter what your form of government no matter what your 
era in history, but just keep your mind focused on right and wrong, on uh, rights and, um, you know, liberty and justice for all, really. And really think about that and have the courage to stand up for it, even if the uh, if the propaganda tells you that you're wrong. Let's let's get to the good stuff. More good stuff after the break. This is Monica Perez. is Monica Perez waking Atlanta up to the real threats to our liberty every Saturday from 3 to 6 right here on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. And I try to tell you what the real story is behind the stories. And I'm not talking about, oh, this is the personalities behind the stories. I'm talking about the stories. A lot of it is true. The stories are true. The, the that. 24-7 news cycle, which repeats over and over again like that. If you ever, like, read a self-help book, you see the technique where they repeat it over and over again, like the same exact thing over and over again to get it into your head. Like, there's so much news. We could we could talk about all sorts of in-depth policies, yet the same stuff just on all across that whole 24-7 cable news cycle. Uh, and I say that those stories are picked and spun to – drive home a point, to set an agenda, to influence, and not to inform. And so that's where I'm coming from. But who's doing it? Who is doing it? How? Why? If you listen to our podcast, my producer Binkley and I uh, do a podcast called The Propaganda Report, and which is now on a new URL, thepropreport.com. We just did one that I have gotten actually – Emails, well, there's a forum on our website now, so I get like a lot to be able to communicate with people in real time. It's actually pretty awesome. It's not full, like join up, but it's getting, it's getting better every day. Anyway, so I keep getting these um, missives, whatever, people telling me they have to listen to the podcast like more than once. So I don't think anyone's going to mind if we play some of those clips that we played because they were just so revealing, in my opinion, and... Also, I think we might, it might not even hurt to play it more than once right here on the show. So people don't have to, I've also gotten like emails. I've got to pull over to listen to you sometimes. (laughs) Like, okay, that's, that's going too far. So I'm going to take it slow and, uh, and play maybe these things a couple of times, but Binkley, can you remind me, I'm, uh, there are different people talking in the different clips that you played for me. The next one I believe is going to be Richard Haas. Yes. Oh, so this is the CFR, not the Brookings Institution. Oh, why was I thinking Brookings? Because I have a clip from the Brookings Institute. Okay, all right. They're like sisters, in my opinion. They were established at the same time, which you pointed out, around World War One. And I actually read the CFR roster. And he talks about Brookings. Oh, okay. And it takes like – really, my eyes go gloss over, but I like to read the membership roster. It takes like an hour of the CFR <laughs> because you you can look people up, but you could just like you see things that you don't expect to see. That's why yeah. I found out Wesley Clark's like Tulsi Gabbard, who has been fighting the good fight uh, against a war with Iran. Um, let's hope that she is sincere. Once I see on the CFR, Maria Bartiromo. 
the Fox News? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So I was looking, and the Brookings Institute, it's the Hoover Institute and the Brookings Institution, or Hoover Institution and the Brookings, I don't know. But anyway, those are big think tanks. Brookings. Brookings and the CFR have a lot of overlap with the people. But if you look at Brookings, it's so crazy to me that who sponsors them. It is just like global mega corporation after global mega corporation and foundations and countries. So uh, to the extent these guys play by the same playbook, but the CFR, I mean, I think needs no intro- introduction. The Council of Foreign Relations, where Hillary Clinton said uh, was the mothership, where she goes <laughs> to get her marching orders, and and Dick Cheney said, "I don't tell my constituents, but I'm a lifer." <laughs> I was like, "What?" <laughs> so it's not funny. <laughs> it is sometimes. It's only because it's preposterous. So let's hear. What, um, all right, so who is this? What's the story? This was an event at the CFR called a Century of Think Tanks, and it was part of something called the 2019 Council on Councils, which is a really pretentious name. (laughs) The Council Uh, on Councils. Is this the one? I don't think this clip is the one where he says, you know, like 100 years ago when it was clear that governments were not going to be in charge of governing. We entered the stage. It's like, ew. <laughs> no, but call. that he also did say he says something, something like, like that. that. Yes. All right. So uh, without further ado, I have a lot of ado. So, all right. Um, Rachel, please, I, I'm, I'm going to stop it probably halfway through, but get started, please, on clip two. That's the Council on Foreign Relations. That's the fastest growing part of the council. We continue for, for the first 90 years of this organization, I would say it had what you might call an elite or establishment focus, and that continues. And we continue to produce products and services for people in, the, in positions of power, positions of influence, and so forth. But around 10 years ago, we made the institutional commitment to reach a much broader swath of Americans. And again... What we did was we thought about what are the agents in a society who have what you might call uh, a multiplier effect, teachers, journalists, people who give sermons in houses of of worship, local political leaders. So what we did was we targeted all of them, and we've produced, whether services or materials, specifically designed for them. So we have workshops for teachers and professors, for religious leaders, uh, we're, now in, we're now in high schools and colleges in all 50 states. We're in 120 countries around the world. We have produced, we're producing an entire curriculum, a basic curriculum about how the world works and why it matters called World 101. We have simulations that are out there to teach people about policymaking as well as the basics of a liberal arts education. And I think the, the, the challenge is we've got to do all that at the same time we do the traditional sort of stuff and hopefully do that better. Okay, Rachel, you can stop it now if you don't mind. Thank you. I'll finish it in a sec. <clears throat> so what what is so shocking to me about that is they clearly, they have an agenda, they serve it, and then they serve it up. They serve it up through all, a whole variety of institutions and sources that you trust that are there for you, that do not have their imprimatur, it is what they call, I believe, white propaganda, where 
or no, black propaganda or gray? White propaganda is where a soldier hands a child a bar of chocolate. You know where it's coming from. You know what it's for. It still works. But if you don't know where it's coming from, like black propaganda, I believe, is like an outright false flag. Gray propaganda, where you do something and you say the other guy did it, is like anti. Yeah. But the gray is where you don't really know where it's coming from. Right. So. Uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, it's, it's, it reminds me, Binkley, of a couple of the clips that you, or quotes that you read of, um, where you need to get it from many sources in order for a, like an idea to take hold. The more avenues somebody's hearing it from, the more of yeah. a variety they perceive. The different methods of communicate, the communication channels. Yeah, and not only the platforms, but the actual sources. Yeah. So, and we've talked about this before, and I was saying, oh, that's what all those think tanks, all their websites look exactly the same. And even in one of the clips you played me recently, the guy says what is like, this is what the website looks like. You need a couple of videos. You need this. You need that. I was like, what? I, uh, how did, it always pops out like you observe it, and then they just admit it, and people are like, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. I'm like, they're talking about it. Yeah. And he, they don't care. Right. He, he said multiplier effect, too. That's they're targeting those people that have the widest and most influence on children to begin with, but just the general public. And then they're teaching them World 101, which I think is a hilarious name for cu- uh, curriculum. Yeah, because presumably that's what we're getting in our lives from our parents, like from induction, from our own observations. But no, they're they're making a subject of telling you how the world works, how it's going to work yeah. for you. If it's not just brainwashing you, but laying out the lay of the land, if you want it. See, that's the thing that I, I've noticed for academia and, and everything like that, where where it's purely political as opposed to economic. So if you are selling shoes on the internet and nobody buys your shoes, you go under. If people do buy your shoes, they go up. Although that on the internet, the search engine can change that. So say you're on the street corner selling lemonade and somebody's across the street selling lemonade or right next to you, the better lemonade or the better price or whatever is going to win and you're going to fail no matter how much rhetoric you spew <laughs> about, you know, marketing has value. I get it, whatever. But, but some of these things don't have that, right? So if you've got academics the I guess they have publisher parish, but you can be wrong. I always thought this about Ben Bernanke in the in the Fed. It wasn't the right or wrong that people debated about his zero interest rate and perpetuity policy. It was whether he fully grasped the what I call the paradigm. What, what, what if he fully grasped what what academics said? Now that is where the rubber would hit the road, and there will be no accountability. If it if it was a failure, but in academia you can you can lay out that paradigm, and if your co teacher fully grasps the paradigm, they could be made full professor with tenure because it's not about the reality, which they talk about. They talk about in some of those clips. I highly recommend people listen. I think it was was it episode one fifty one. I think one fifty five. Oh, okay. Never mind. I don't know the one from. I tweeted it. Ago. Okay, great. Thankfully, just tweeted. So, yeah, I mean, the multiplier effect, that just it boggles the mind. Yeah, and these are the same people that are creating the curriculum for media literacy that we're hearing so much about, which is going to dumb down further the population. Well, I told you that I sat through a, a high school intro to that, a class like that, 
and it was the three rules, the three rules of sourcing research from the internet, authority, authority, and authority. <laughs> <laughs> Not plausibility, credibility, and evidence. They didn't which... show a picture of John Brennan. This is where you get your information <laughs> from? Oh, they pulled up CBS News. <laughs> there you go. Not, not that there's anything wrong with CBS News, but I would rather have – I think she wasn't Cheryl Atkinson on CBS News. That she she had, was. That's where she got – She had plausibility, credibility, and yeah. evidence on when she broke Operation Fast and Furious. But now she doesn't have authority, so we shouldn't listen to Yeah, her. now she's an anti-vaxxer and she's evil. Is she? That'll bring her down. Like, they still let her talk, but – yeah, I think they won't. They won't allow that. I think she's a good journalist, by the way. I was yeah, I, I can't. I've been waiting to to. I've been waiting for the other shoe to drop on her, and I have not seen it. So I do find her to be uh, so far so good. That's for sure. She's not one of these guys. But oh, this reminds me. Talking about preachers, if you don't preach what they want you to preach, I wonder if what I'm going to talk about next might happen. Eight hundred WSB Talk. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. Wow, that was intense. On News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. This show is always intense and uh, sometimes a little bit forgetful. Let me, I forgot to play the second half of that clip. Rachel, let's hear the rest of that clip. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's multitasking, but uh, I think one of the lessons of the last couple of years if war is too important to be left to the generals, foreign policy is too important to be left to the foreign policy establishment. And there's going to be a broader conversation, and I believe institutions like these need to figure out a way, how do we become a resource for that larger conversation in our respective societies? So he's not even saying it's too important to be left to the voters, like Kissinger said about Chile. It's, the, it's too important to be left to the experts. These yeah. guys, I mean, that is arrogance. But you, lest you think this comes only from the left, I'm, this is, I consider that the left, but it's not. It's above it. I have this quote from uh, Irving Kristol, Bill Kristol's father, who wrote in Neoconservatism, the autobiography of an idea. He wrote, the American people know their common sense tells them that foreign policy is a subject about which they know little and that their opinions are not reasoned opinions, only shallow attitudes that are waiting to be shaped or reshaped into firm opinion. That shaping is the task of political leadership, which has to lead to make decisions and then be judged by the results. The kind of timid deference to supposed popular opinion now visible in Washington's elites only serves to diminish popular confidence in their wisdom and their competence. So he is calling for uh, the, the, the same thing, this rule by the elite, which is they are saying outright that we cannot engage in self-governance when we have this active foreign policy. So make that decision with eyes open. They're telling you. They're telling you. It is here for us to see. They are saying you cannot govern yourself in foreign affairs, but we're going to take your money and your mandate in the name of your right to self-defense to get it out there. Uh, Binkley's got more gold for us after the break. This is Monica Perez. My father died when I was six weeks old. He was a fighter pilot in the Army Air Corps in 1943. My mother remarried when I was three years old. 
and he was the veteran of 25 bombing missions over Japan. He was a radio operator on a B-29. He was my father until he died at 92. Both heroes. WSB listeners have been leaving personal memorials for family members lost in battle this Memorial Day weekend. You can do the same using the open mic feature on the WSB radio app. And we'll continue to honor Memorial Day with you all weekend on WSB. The last hour, I uh, read the story of Ross McGinnis, who got a Congressional Medal of Honor for throwing himself on a grenade to save uh fellow soldiers, and in my research, I came upon two other names who also got Congressional Medals of Honor for throwing themselves on grenades to save other soldiers. Corporal Jason Dunham and Petty Officer Second Class Michael Monsoor. And I, these people willingly, it's right, that some one caller said they did not lose their lives, they gave them. And they did it for the right reasons, and we are blessed to have people like that in service and in our country. And I do celebrate that, and I uh, stand vigilant to try to make sure that we hold accountable the people who make these decisions. And I feel like that takes a lot of effort on our part, and I think the powers that be keep us pretty busy with a lot of hard work, we talked earlier, another caller, uh, and I talked about it. progressive taxation itself can keep us too busy by having to work harder and harder all the time to stay informed and conscientious when it comes to how the, the people in power use that power in our name with our money. I mean, the, government, the government's only power is our right to self-defense. That's why it exists our right to self-defense, and we pay it for to help us, help us, not replace us, but help us in exercising that. So when they're doing stuff like we heard before the break, if you haven't heard, if you haven't heard this whole show, you might check it out on thepropreport.com. We push, put this show up without commercials on Wednesdays and our own podcast, which a lot of times folds in a lot of this stuff on Thursdays. You can listen to this show then. But we just played... Uh, some quotes and clips of people at the Council of Foreign Relations, Brookings Institution, uh, Brookings Institute, and other, uh, Irving Crystal was one of them, people who are kind of in that elite, who say openly that we are not capable as voters, as citizens, to control the foreign policy and that it needs to be controlled and used proactively and that only they can do that. Even, even the foreign policy establishment to quote Richard Haas of the CFR is not competent enough to basically manipulate the world. And they talked also one of an earlier clip about how what you want is for the teachers, the journalists, the politicians, and the preachers to deliver your message. And in that effort, they have put out a lot of 
a lot of uh, paperwork and um, they're in like every college, every country, but they don't only put out materials and set up outposts, but I believe it is clip two. Let's hear what what else they do. And this is a callback to shows that I've done before, a term I coined. Let's hear, uh, Rachel, please, clip two. I think we played clip two already. Oh, sorry, clip one. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Sorry. I would also want to end with one thing that is certainly relevant in the U.S., but also very relevant in the Middle East, despite the climate is that we usually focus on the fact that think tanks produce studies and reports and information. But they also produce people. Uh, in the U.S., obviously, it's that revolving door. You know, they serve an administration. They come and they go back. There's a positive side to that, that those people in the think tank over the years that they're out of office at least are focusing on the issue that they're supposed to focus on and hopefully go back with more expertise. So I did a show, we did WSB show May 4th, I think it was, of this year, 2019, where I call, it was created persons, created persons like uh, Stacey Abrams is a member of the CFR, Alexandria Ocasio was in one of these incubators for young people before she interned for Ted Kennedy. These are people who are released into the community to affect a goal without it being quite so obvious who they're working for. Otherwise, the materials would be enough that the people are there to make sure things happen. And it's funny he talks about it being in government, too. On the prop report where we have this forum now where we can talk to each other, Ken dropped an article. I think I think I didn't expect to talk about it, So, but I think this is right, that. People in government, when they go into private sector, get a 1,400% raise, like 14 times what they made before. I don't know if that could possibly even be true because they're pretty well paid when they're in the government. But I have known people like that that get an unbelievable private sector salaries because of two, two possible elements. One is they know the loopholes in the law. So you get like IRS people going out and working for accounting firms or people who know uh, what stock will benefit. Nowadays, I think Congress is not supposed to benefit from insider trading. I think they did pass a law. I'm not sure it is effective or not, but it used to be that it was unfettered. They could just even uh, they could even trade on stuff they didn't otherwise. That was like not public policy. Uh, so the. And then the other reason would be they have connections, networks, they can make things happen. And that's where you can get big money. You can go from the government to the private sector and uh, really capitalize on your connections, like through venture capital or whatever, that kind of thing. Uh, do you remember, Binkley, who was who was saying that? Yeah, that was, that was clip Paul one. Salem, president at the Middle East Institute. And he used to be with the uh, Carnegie Carnegie Endowment. Yes, the Carnegie Endowment, which famously was instrumental in getting us into World War One, with the express goal of changing the culture of this country. They they will not stop short of that. That was something revealed in the Reese Commission, which was a subset of the House Un-American Activities Committee to see if tax-exempt foundations were un-American, and in fact, they were found to be so. But so what? <laughs> and the, the foundations are one of the major funders of 
a lot of these think tanks. That's the thing. It's foundations. It's corporations. It's um, very powerful people from families whose names you would recognize. And the, I mean, the once I saw, so we were. You were showing me this stuff, so I started to investigate in a different way, kind of Brookings Institute and the and CFR, and I came upon the 2018 annual report of the Brookings Institute, and I just looked at the the people on the steering committee, all the people who've donated to it, and it is just a laundry list, a laundry list of global corporations, powerful people, and then if you actually read chapter by chapter in that annual report and paragraph by paragraph of what they're they're saying they're doing uh the two things that i just remember off the top of my head was the trump's deregulation initiatives and trying to replace the obamacare uh they said they were like advising him every step of the way in that stuff so i couldn't understand what what trump's deregulation uh, initiative was the only thing I could think of is just like trade and tariffs. You can pick winners with that stuff. You can decide who gets the advantage. And I was afraid of that, but I didn't really have a smoking gun there. But when you see who's advising him on it and where their interests lie, I I bet if you w- wanted to spend the time, if you had a think tank that was truly independent, you could connect the dots between the people who are supporting the, this institute and, and the the direction the deregulation is going. They were also kind of disappointed that uh, Obamacare reform wasn't to their liking, but they're hopeful because the mandate was eliminated, which I totally agree. I don't, it was the one thing, the most politically active I've ever been. I marched on Washington three times against Obamacare because I, I, I want the government out of it entirely. Of course, repeal and replace is not my mantra, just repeal and liberate <laughs> you know that would work but should we you think we should play another one binkley what do you i think we referred to the one about government playing a larger role what was that was clip three or okay is clip three and that's richard haas of the cfr right yes all right rachel can you give me clip three do i need this came at a time where in the early 20th century you had a whole movement to improve the quality of governance uh, Brookings was founded at roughly the same time. There was pushback against the spoil system. The whole idea in the tw- government was going to play, as we saw in, in succeeding decades, a much larger role in American life. New Deal being in some ways what ushered a lot of that, that in. But the idea was that we needed strong institutions in our society to help improve the, or raise the quality of governance. And to some extent, it would come from within. But also it would come from outside, and whether it was a place to generate ideas, whether it was a place to generate, uh, to develop talent. And this, it, you know, today we probably call it some version of a public-private partnership, but again, the idea was part of this, what then meant the progressive movement, good government movement, the Gugus. But this was a, a powerful idea in early 20th century America, essentially part of the professionalization of government, which was going to take on an ever larger role in American economic life, in American political life, and in America's foreign policy. There are a couple of buzzwords in there that did not trigger me the first time I heard it, but they do now. Which ones? Well, uh, he said it's part of the progressive movement. Yeah. 
<laughs> and that it was like a public-private partnership. Yeah. So people think progressive is super left and public-private partnerships are libertarian. I'm opposed to both of those things, and I always call the progressive movement as a way for industry to capture government. And then the third thing was they call professionalization of government. That's a technocracy. I mean, and, that yeah. that's totalitarianism. And he also said that the New Deal ushered in a lot of that increased governance control. Intentionally, and it's good to know to roll it back and, and point out that the CFR was, I believe, Colonel House, who was the Svengali of Woodrow Wilson, was a founder of the CFR, was he not? Do you remember that? Oh, you don't – that was something I found, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, so I've talked about Colonel House before. He was the puppet master for Wilson, and it was it was at that time they decided that you had to have kind of control over the State Department, and that was it. And if you had a captive president, you could really control all this stuff. And I've always highlighted FDR as the next generation of that captive president. It's It took yeah. them a while to really get hold of it. And this is the outgrowth of that. So this is the CFR talking about how good the New Deal was for that. And, and what do they talk about now? The Green wait. New Deal. The progressive. Right. Oh, the yeah. I saw a picture, like a Photoshop picture of AOC next to FDR in a, like, horse and wagon. Yeah. <laughs> you see that? Oh, is that a meme that's making the rounds? All right. So let's like, we'll wrap it up after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like... Uh... Your opinion, man. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We are wrapping it up after uh, a very interesting and intense show. A lot of smoking guns, a lot of emotions. If you want to hear it, you can go to thepropreport.com. We put it up on Wednesdays, commercial free. And then we also do our own podcast, Binkley, my producer, and I do a podcast that we put up on Thursdays. So check that out. We will be back next Saturday from 3 to 6 right here on WSB. And I I have to say that was a very interesting ride we took. I mean, Binkley, I want to know kind of if there's any anything we left out on the, on the smoking gun front. What's your upshot as we listen to the CFR and I had stuff from the Brookings Institute and other places – where they're kind of open about about they are pushing their agenda and they're doing it outside uh, what's legitimate government. They're very casual about it because they depend, and you mentioned this earlier, they depend on public ignorance of these foreign issues, and they keep us fighting domestically to keep us ignorant of these things. They don't want I, us asking questions. Yeah, and I've actually noticed – like the guys love it. It's far too important. Foreign policy is far too important to be left to the foreign policy establishment, which is a play on Kissinger saying the government, the president, who is president of Chile is far too important a question to allow the voters to decide. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and they're saying that laughingly, but I've I, numerous times, I, as you know, people like I get heat for seeing a conspiracy behind every bush or thinking there's something at the top, some coordination that isn't reported on Fox News every night. But I can take quotes or clips like that. And if you just read the sentences without their casual, this is no big deal or take out global governance and put in global global government, you know, it's the, it, the jig is up and you've got to say. These guys, some people don't. I think it doesn't rise to the level of consciousness for the worker bees, but these guys know exactly what they're doing, and they chuckle about it when you get that occasional 
uh, leaked phone call, like between Victoria Newland about Ukraine, you get the picture. They know what they're doing. So more of this and uh, and everything else that you love uh, next week on the Monica Perez Show.